Hey everybody, welcome to the C3 Victory Podcast. We're so glad that you are catching up with us. All our services are online at the moment, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy this encouraging message from our pastoral team. Give somebody an elbow bump, a fist pump, or something before you sit down. And uh, Janet and I watch a program where they talk about do a fist pump to the big man, and they're talking about prayer. So... (laughs) All right. We love that. It's good to be here today and good to be with you because, uh, you know, we trust, we really trust that during this season, we're getting up close and personal with God. In this series in August, we're having encounters with Him. We believe you're doing that. You know, as pastor, it'd be easy to step back and take a deep breath and go, oh God, how are they? You know, there's so many of you we just have not seen face to face for, I guess, since March. That's just unreal. We haven't been able to talk, we, you know, maybe over the phone a bit, but there's nothing like, you know, getting together and going, hey, what's God saying? What's God doing? And watch you open the word and get hungry. And we're missing that. And look, we're praying that, that, that you're having an, a, a personal revival right now this month, that it, it's getting stirred up by God in you, in your home, where you're at. I was listening to the Bethel song this morning. It's their new album and the song God of Revival. And this is our prayer, you know, come and awaken your people. Come and awaken your city, O God of revival. Pour it out. Pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. Hear the chains hit the ground. God of revival, pour it out. Man, I hope that's your prayer. I hope that's your prayer for you. I hope that's your prayer for everybody around you because we want to see an awakening, not just personal revival, but an awakening. I was speaking... uh, at a church recently. It's one of the churches that's a little bit smaller, you know, and they could fit enough people in. They started having services again on Sunday. And, oh, they, and they, they shouldn't have, but they were hugging and, and they singing and they were told later, don't do that. And uh, sign in, sign out, all that stuff. But, oh, we couldn't wait to get together again. And something in me stirred and went, you can get together down at the bowling club because you can still go. To, uh, what do you mean? Come on. <laughs> you can still go down there and have a meal together. You know that. You know, you can still have coffee together. What's different to this? And something stirred up in me, and I said to them, and this is what I said. I said, while it's good to have church services again, it's far more than just getting together on a Sunday. You know, we don't want to just go through the motions of doing the religious thing. I think God kind of allowed COVID to happen to get us to stop doing the religious thing. We got in a rut, and it doesn't matter what label you wear. You know, Pentecostal, Baptocostal, Watercostal, I don't know. Whatever label you wear, it makes no difference. You can still fall in a rut of being religious. And, and, and the deal is this. We don't want to do the religious thing. We want to help every person have a, have a real encounter with the living God. I, I, I would be sad that every time we meet, if people walk out of there not experiencing God. And I believe this time, that we found ourselves in, it's got a lot of opportunities where we can encourage you to make the most of them. Hey, don't wait till COVID's over. In the middle of this thing, find God. Have a personal encounter with Him. It's a great opportunity in front of us to pursue encounters with God. I think it'd be a tragedy to come out of COVID and go, oh, it's over. I don't feel refreshed. I feel worn out. I feel afraid and tired. Well, to come out of this going, I'm pumped, I'm ready, we're running, we're taking the city. That's the way it, all, it's, it, it should be because it's a desire within us, right? Desire is a key factor, right? And when we passionately seek after God in His presence, we have encounters with Him, true? Draw near to God and 
Now, my crowd just went to sleep. Draw near to God and? There you go. See, they're, they're awesome. They're alive. But here's the deal. We started reading out of John 4, and you can take your Bible and turn there. Get mine and open it to there. We've been going out of John 4, this incredible uh, passage that Pastor Nate's been leading you in recently, and I'm going to have my part in it and uh, hopefully add to that and build on what he has said. And God gave me a revelation when I was reading out of John 4 about going deeper in him. And here it is. I think the quote's going to be on the screen. Here's a revelation I got. First and foremost, encounter is about God seeking us. Just let that soak in for a minute. My point is this. God wants to have an encounter with you, I think, more than you want to have with him. In John 4.23, the New Century Version says it this way. The time is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and that time is already here. Now listen to the way this version puts it. You see, the Father too is actively seeking such people to worship Him. You see, encounters not so much determined by the degree of passion we have for Him. Used to be in the old days, the harder we prayed and the more we sweat and the longer we were in our prayer closet, we might get more of God. And the problem is... Where's you out? You get flipping tired. And if you do find God, you're too tired to do anything with Him. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Listen, encounter is determined by responding to His great passion for us. Because He wants to go deeper with us. And the Father is seeking you and me today. Even if we have gone asleep, even if we have gone cold, even if we have tempted to sin and fallen into sin in this COVID time, the Father is still looking for us. Just amazing. And Pastor Nate chose this. I don't think he minds me saying this. He chose this scripture because of this reason, this revelation in here that God went after a person even in the deepest part of her sin. All right. John 4, verse 4. Here we go. I think it'll be on screen for you. I'm reading it from the New Living. I'm going to have some tea before I do. I get worked up. crowd here gets me kind of pumped. I haven't been able to preach in front of a crowd much, so this is good. Here we go. Verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. Pause. That little verb there, had to. We miss it because it's like, yeah, had to. Had to. It's actually a phrase that in the original, it it literally means this. It was absolutely necessary that he went through Samaria. I'm going to come back to that. But let's keep reading. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. See, Jesus was a man. Even though he was the son of God, he was also the son of man. He was tired. He was thirsty. He sat down by the well, or even on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is 12 noon. So it's the middle of the day. It's hot. It's the Middle East. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, here's my question out of that. Was it convenient that Jesus had stopped at a well in the middle of the day when it was hot? And by chance, it happened to be that a woman arrives and she's got something to dip water out of the deep well for him? Or was it a higher call? Was it convenience, chance, or the calling of God that he was there? And you see, in in the Jesus day, if you understand what's going on here in Jesus' day, the shortest route or route, which wasn't... I, don't, I can't remember. Americans say it one way, Aussies the other. You guys help me. What is it in Australia? Route. 
Janet said route. Yes, okay. So, the shortest way to, to Galilee from Judea, <laughs> that's what I'm going to say, the way. The shortest way north to Galilee from Judea is go straight north, right? Just straight up the Pacific Highway and you're going to land at Kulangata and get turned around and sent home. All right. So, here they are, Judea. It gets heated. Religious people are after Jesus. Pharisees are coming after him and he goes, hey guys, I've got to go this way through Samaria. And most times Jews, devout Jews, instead of going straight north, the short, shortest, quickest way, they would cross the Jordan River, go up through and get this pagan territory, paganism, Baal worship, just to miss the Samaritans and land up in Galilee. I mean, hours and hours longer, kilometers longer, just to miss the Samaritans because they despised them. They hated them. With all their being, they hated them. So here's the deal. Did Jesus have to go through Samaria because he was in a hurry? Or it was the easiest way to go? Now, I want to tell you something. Jesus never chose to do something because it was easy. Never. As a matter of fact, early in his ministry in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, the guys are going, you've got to stay here. You've got, you got a great healing ministry. And he said, no. I've got to go to the other villages. I've got to tell them about the kingdom of God. Now, here's the phrase. For this purpose, I was sent. Jesus lived life on purpose. And even though going through Samaria was the most direct and quickest way, it would not have been the thing that moved him to say, it's absolutely necessary for me to go north through Samaria. Nor did he see this encounter with this woman, a chance meeting. Oh, somebody with a bucket. Great. What luck. By the way, don't ever say to me, good luck, Keith. I go, no, 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 no such thing. I don't live by luck. I live by sovereignty. Tell me good sovereignty. Okay? It was not good luck that a woman showed up with a bucket to get water. He lived his life on purpose, and he knew, I am going to meet somebody that my father has a meeting with today. And that's what I'm going to do. And you say, I want to tell you something. What's taking place today, wherever you are, in your home, in a car, Wherever you're listening to this, in this auditorium today, this is not a happenstance. It is not just another Sunday service. You are watching this because the Father has destined an appointment with you today. Even if you went, I just tuned in, I wasn't expecting that. Doesn't matter, He's expecting it. And I want to encourage you to believe that the Father is seeking you today. He wants to have an encounter with you. So, let's go down to the scripture again, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That phrase right there, by the way, living water, the, previously when she talks about water, she uses a word that says an inanimate object, like a rock. Okay, It's not living. When Jesus talks about the water he offers, he changes the word to something that's living, alive. I'm not offering you something that is temporary, but something that will settle your soul forever. It's alive. Okay, here we go. Sir, verse 11, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave... I mean, she's speaking prophetically. It's like, duh. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never 
thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you jumped ahead to chapter 7, Jesus says that water is a spring. It flows constantly. It is the Holy Spirit. Okay? And he, he says this. It becomes a spring of water, not a lagoon, not a billabong. Moving, living water, teeming with life, and it's welling up to not just temporary life, but eternal life. The woman said, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, my question is this. What's wrong with this picture? You know, newspapers and magazines will sometimes feature an article entitled, What's Wrong with the Picture? And they'll have a photograph there, like a photograph of somebody fixing their computer with a sledgehammer. I remember once... I had a, one of my first laptops. I don't know if Joy remembers this, but it moved as slow as Methuselah. And the thing would not move. And I got ticked one day. And I just picked up a pen and I went smack into the screen. The screen went. Whoosh! And I went, I shouldn't have done that. I tried to fix it by hitting the thing. What's wrong with this picture? Or imagine going out to eat at your favorite restaurant. You sit down and they say, sir, ma'am. We're going to bring you our house specialty tonight, and it's on the house. Great. Awesome. And you're sitting there, and they bring you a plate of flowers from the garden to eat. What's wrong with this picture? Now, the deal is this. In this passage we just read, there's something wrong with the picture. But to see it and to get it, you've got to understand the times. Because it doesn't look odd to us. Middle of the day, hot, man needs a drink of water, woman comes with a bucket. What's so odd about that? I'm glad you asked. Here's the deal. The first thing is, it's the middle of the day. Number one, people don't normally travel through the desert in the middle of the day. Right? Number two, um, it's not normal for a woman to go draw water in the middle of the day. You see, the women of the household, that was their chore. I don't know why. Don't get on to me, ladies. I don't need any emails about this. I'm not trying to be a misogynist here. I'm just saying, in that day, it was their job early in the morning to go get water for the family. So the well became the hot spot of talking. Oh, what happened last night? Did you guys enjoy the movie? Yeah, Ben-Hur was great. Wasn't it awesome? And so they're talking and, hey, how's your husband going at his job? I don't know. He got shut down because of COVID. And so it, it's like us at the water fountain at work or the coffee machine at work. We gather around it, not just to get a drink, but talk, associate, everything. And so you do it at the same time. What's wrong with this picture? Middle of the day, she's the only one going to the well. Why? She's an immoral outcast. If she went at the same time the other women of the city went to the well, most likely they would pick up rocks and begin to stone her because she is a harlot, an adulteress. So she has to go when nobody else is there. It's isolated, it's lonely, but it's a safe place for her at that moment. Nobody else is supposed to be around. So what's wrong with the picture? There's a man sitting on the well when she rocks up. What's more, he's a Jew, pure blood. He's a Jew from the tribe of Judah. And she's shocked. <gasps> There's a man here. And all of a sudden, he talks to her. Second thing wrong with the picture, Jewish man talking to a woman in the middle of the day. Because in their culture, men did not talk to women out in the open. It was forbidden. Especially a rabbi, a teacher. He would not address a woman in public. Forbidden. So Jesus talks to her personally. Hey, glad to see you here. Can I have a drink? It's like, he hadn't got a rock in his hand. What's going on here? This guy's talking to me. And what's even worse, he's a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and they hate us. 
And he does, he's acting like he doesn't hate me. I'll tell you what's wrong with this picture. Everything's wrong with a picture. Because middle of the day, hottest part of the day, immoral woman who is a Samaritan. And here's Jesus, a Jewish teacher going, hey, glad to see you here. You reckon you give me a drink? He's talking to her. It's not supposed to happen like this. It's forbidden by law. But here's the deal. Having an encounter with God doesn't always happen the way we thought it would. <gasps> What's wrong with the picture? Listen, you will find that encounters happen in the most unlikely place, the most unlikely, with the, uh, unlikely way with the most unlikely people. And sometimes you might even think like this woman, I'm disqualified. I, my heart's gone cold. I haven't been walking close to God. I haven't been reading His Word. I'm, I'm not on fire anymore. And I've even slipped into some sin. Take heart. You're still, you're still a candidate for an encounter. <laughs> God seeks us in our deepest need even when we stuff up. The Father's still seeking us. And He sent His Son out to seek those who were lost and those who needed His presence. And often it will happen in the most unlikely place with the most unlikely person. For me, I first heard that God sent His Son to save me not at a church service, as awesome as that can be, not at a crusade, as good as that can be, not even from a televangelist, as not so good as that is, and not from any kind of big meeting, but it was at a state high school where there's a thousand kids around us in the commons area and Tommy, a one-day-old Christian, doesn't even know John 3:16, got saved the night before and says to me, Keith, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. I had just been living in deep sin the night before, yet God was still seeking me. I don't understand that, except for how great is the love of God. We just sang about. Because here's the deal. What God offers is greater than what we desire. I just wanted a fix for my headache. The woman just wanted a drink of water so she didn't have to come back and keep drawing water because it made her feel rejected, lonely, and used. Got it? So give me this water that I can drink that I'll never have to come back here and do this again. She immediately started looking at natural things. But I want to tell you, God will step in the middle of your day. He will get your attention and he'll give you an experience that will shift your life. She wanted a temporary solution. Jesus offered permanent satisfaction. God doesn't offer it. Listen to me. I don't care how many meetings we go to. They're good. Don't get me wrong. Love church. Can't wait to get back together again. But God doesn't offer a quick fix or a temporary experience. He offers a lifelong encounter. And when we get up close and personal with God, we are changed. We're not the same. We walk out of there different. Encounter is, is not just experiential. It's transformational. Changes our life. When we get face to face with him, we are changed, which you're going to see in just a minute. Verse 16. He, Jesus, told her, go call your husband and come back. You can imagine her head dropped at that moment. In shame, she probably bowed her head and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, I can imagine her voice shaking, trembling. In shame and fear, he's going to pick up a rock at any minute. Start stoning me. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but maybe she's afraid, maybe she's trembling. She knows this is no ordinary man. He's probably a prophet. Any moment he's going to start stoning me and crying out for others to come and do the same. And so what does she do? She gets religious. Isn't it amazing how sometimes when you got the presence of God all over you and you start talking to somebody and they get a bit nervous that you're going to condemn them, they get religious. You don't want to talk religion. I don't talk to you about coming to church and, and doing all the religious stuff. I want to talk to you about God. Let's get first things first. Jesus declared, verse 21, Believe me, woman, a time is coming... When you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. In other words, it's not about a location. Listen, it doesn't matter right now if we're not in our building. As much as we want to do that, and I believe that when churches are gathering together again, it's going to be far better than ever. I'm believing that. I'm declaring that. I know people hold their breath and going, what if they don't want to come back? I'm believing you're going to get a revival and you can't wait to come back. Okay, anyway. It's not about a place. You Samaritans, verse 22, worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Neither is it a method. You guys sing it this way. We sing it that way. You read out of that book. We read out of this book. We chant out of a book. You don't. You shama mahandi. You know, it's not about a method. Here's the deal. This is, the, this is the crux of the whole thing, verse 23. Yet a time is coming, has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus shifted the goalposts at that moment. It's no, longer about, it's no longer about where you do it, and it's no longer about the methods that you use. It's about the state of your heart. And I love what Bill Johnson said in his book. God does not look for worship. He looks for worshipers. Which is so true. God is not sitting up in heaven feeding off of our worship. He didn't come walking in the cool of the garden because he needed Adam. He came walking in the cool of the garden because he wanted to walk with Adam. Right? And so Jesus goes to the heart of the issue and he points out her sin. The thing that blocks us from an encounter is the thing that offends God. And so what do we do? We get religious. Oh, I think I'll pick up my Bible and read it. Don't read your Bible because you feel guilty. Read your Bible because you can get cleansing. Right? Come on. We don't want to turn to religion. Religion is not the solution. As a matter of fact, religion can get in the way. You hear so many young people today go, I just don't like the church. I don't want to talk about the church. Let's talk about liking God. You can hear an atheist go, I don't believe in God. Well, that's okay. That's all right. He believes in you. He does. One day they will. One day they will. And, you know, we can engage in religious activity without the heart being engaged. We can stand there and sing the songs, although we're not allowed to sing them out loud without a mask. We can stand there and sing, and yet our mind is going everywhere else except for what we're singing. Religion doesn't help us get deeper with him. It's an approach from the heart with expectancy that God wants to meet with me. Like, he's a father who gives good gifts to his kids who ask, even if I don't deserve it. And it's obvious in this story how empty the woman is. So empty. Her soul's not being filled. You know what Jesus said? You've had six men already, and it didn't last. 
And it won't. It can't fill your need. Not one of those men can fill your need. It's interesting if you look at Bible numbers, the number six is the number that represents man. On the sixth day, God created man. But not just man, but fallen man. And everything we bring with it to try to meet our need that we lost. And Jesus said, you can have six men, but it's all emptiness. You can go after the stuff the world offers you to fill the hole in your soul, but it's empty. Can't do it. It's fallen. It's flawed. But interesting, Jesus became number seven. Because when she went to the town and said, I met a man. Come back to that in a minute. He's number seven. Seven in the Bible is a number for perfection and completion. When God rested from his work and said, it is so good, I am finished. And Jesus said, one day I will say from a place called Golgotha, it is finished. It is finished. I have finished the work my father sent me to do. You can now live again because of the cross. Because nothing in this world can fill the void that's inside of us that longs for an encounter with him. I mean, even Solomon wrote in all of his searching, you read Ecclesiastes, this is a lost man searching for meaning. Meaningless, meaningless. Life is meaningless, he said. But you know what he said? But inside of every heart is eternity. And the only thing that's going to fill it is someone from eternity. Not the stuff of this world. I like what Blaise Pascal, if you've never read about him, from 1600s, a French physicist, philosopher, became a theologian. He was an atheist, by the way. For all you non-believers out there, listen to this man. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing. He found this to be true. But only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. You see, this woman, even in her sin, listen, she still had an awareness of God. No matter how deep her sin... Can you imagine going from five adulterous affairs to a sixth one? By that stage, you'd think you're so hardened to God, you'd think He doesn't exist. Like, if you were real God... You hear people go, if you were real God... This woman wasn't saying that. She's saying, give me the living water. Give me the living water. In spite of her sin, she knew God was still real. My question is, what's diverting you? What's separating you? What's trying to distract you from knowing the reality of God? His presence. If it's sin, the Father still offers a meeting with Him. If it's religious activity, He calls you to look higher. And even in her sin, God was looking for this woman that day. He sent His Son to find her. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? They get up one morning and they start doing some ministry in Judea. Jesus and the twelve. They're baptizing people like crazy and the Pharisees get, oh, we got to stop this. So Jesus goes, all right, boys, we're finished. Now we have to go through Samaria. I think he's lost it. He's got a bit of sunstroke. What's going on with him? We never go through Samaria. Okay, Jesus, how do you know? Why do you got to do this? Well, I just kind of talking to dad. And he said, son, that's the road you take today. Because along that road, son, there's a woman that I want to meet. And I want her to meet me. Because she is so lost. She is so broken. And I have a way to make her whole. Like no man can. That's how he knew. And I want to tell you, when, when I, I told you earlier, when I first heard that God loved me and sent his son to die for me, I was living in sin. And I need to tell you this too. I was not looking for God. If you said, oh yeah, you were down and out. No, I wasn't. I was loving my sin. 
I loved it. It felt good. And God doesn't deny that. Hebrews 11 says that sin is pleasurable for a season. What we forget, though, is seasons change. Getting high turns into addiction. Getting drunk turns into addiction. Sex turns into slavery and adultery. And I thought, I'm loving sin, and I wasn't looking for God, but I need to tell you, He came looking for me. And He didn't stop. And I thank God for that because the first few times, as a matter of fact, for three months I went, no, I don't want you. But like one theologian said, he's the hound of heaven. He just kept nipping at my heels. A friend in South Australia once got, he was walking along a footpath and a, what do they call those little, pit bull got loose. And I'm talking about a guy that played AFL. He was strong and fit. He's walking along and that pit bull grabbed him by the Achilles literally by the Achilles, and he turned his head, and it was so strong, it threw this grown man to the ground. He knew he was in trouble. Well, I'm telling you, the hound of heaven is nipping at your heels, and when he grabs you, he is not going to let go. He's after you. And the Father is seeking you, and he has arranged a meeting with you today. And he wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to know his heart for you. And it all begins with this encounter. Let's finish this off. Verse 25. The woman said, I think by this time she was able to look up at Jesus, realizing there are no rocks in his hands. I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. This is the first moment in this encounter that she's speaking with a little bit of hope. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. He declares, I who speak to you am he. You know what he's literally saying? I am. I am. And you'll find through the book of John, Jesus says, I am. I am. I'm the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. I am the living water. You know why he's saying that? Now, see, if you're a Jew, you don't understand this so much. See, we non-Jews go, Jesus never claimed to be God. I beg your pardon. Right here, by saying I am, he is making himself equivalent to Yahweh, who spoke out of the burning bush to Moses. I am. It says in John very clearly, we have come to take you captive and to get you crucified, not because of your miracles, but because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew it. So here he is. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the living God. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Well, that's an awkward moment. Why are you talking with her? They didn't. I, 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 we, we knew it. He's lost it. You know. First he takes us through Samaria. Now he talks to a harlot. What is going on? Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, in a normal context, you'd go, yeah, right. Number seven, we know your stories about men. But what you don't see here is the woman. If you could see her like they saw her. Listen to me. You go, how do you know this? Because of what, what it says next. The whole town came out of their town to see this man because of her. What, because she said, I met a man? No, because she'd already met six men. This is not the issue. I met the man. And, and the meeting and the encounter with that man gave her the love of the Father so much that even by looking at her and getting close to her, they could sense and see the presence of God all over her. 
She was changed. This woman who was so empty, so dry, so lost, changed in a moment so much that the town went, we got to go see this. we got to meet this man. I think the amazing thing, and I think it's being preached later, was that Jesus decided, hey, we're going to camp out with the Samaritans for two more days. So much for hating them. Encounter. So here's the deal as we wrap up. Number one, encounter. The Father plans it. Since you took your first breath, God was planning to connect with you. He will orchestrate events, circumstances, and people in your world to help you encounter His grace and love. We had a brand new neighbor move in um, a few weeks ago. He can't talk. He's had throat cancer. They removed his voice box. And so he can't talk. And he's been waiting for, I don't know, months, five months to get the operation to put a, you know, the, the thing in that helps him talk. And he has to write everything on a little whiteboard and show you. And so Janet said, we're just going to pray for you that you get in to get your operation. And all of a sudden he went, oh. And he writes in, I'm Catholic. And we go, great. We're going to pray for you. God will orchestrate events just to show his love and his grace. This man probably six, seven, eight months ago never even thought he'd move in behind two crazy religious nuts (laughs) who said, great, we're going to pray for you. And I want to tell you, God brought this message today to tell you he is seeking you. He's in love with you. And you can sin all you want to. I'm not giving you permission to sin by saying that, by the way. You do all the sin you want to do, but he's still coming after you. So the father plans it. Secondly, the son offers it. God sent heaven's best so we could connect with him and experience his goodness and his presence. But let me say this to you. It begins at the cross, but that's only the beginning. It's supposed to be a lifestyle, not an event. God forbid that we get born again and we encounter his grace and his love and his goodness and his favor and his kindness. And that's it. Listen, that's the beginning. The Bible says it's like being born again. I start as a baby, which means there's so much more. I grow into so much more. And I keep growing into it until I change, what, change locations I was looking for from here to there. I keep getting it. So, Father plans it. The Son offers it, but you and I have got to desire it and want it. God doesn't force it. He offers it, but He doesn't. Jesus said, I'm offering you living water. He didn't make it. Open your mouth. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, He was so full of love and grace at that moment by not taking judgment upon her. He didn't have to force it. She wanted it so bad. She had never experienced such love. And I want to tell you, you come to the foot of the cross, you will experience love like you have never experienced in your life. But that is just the beginning. It's like the wedding. The wedding day is just the beginning. Right? Christina didn't say that. Right, Christina? Yes, of course. She said so, Earl. That's good. Deep inside of this woman, she was longing for God. She didn't even know it at first. That's why God sends people to you. You don't even know it, but you've got eternity in there. And that eternity is to be filled with God alone. And inside every one of us is a place that only God can fill. But here's a great thing. It's like he said, you've got a river flowing in you. Once you get born again, you can imagine this thing just constantly. It never settles. It never sits still. It's living and it's vibrant. Well, it's the same with God. It's like this vacuum gets filled with God and another vacuum appears above it. Oh, there's more. And you get that filled and another vacuum appears. There's more. And that's what Paul said in Philippians 3. After knowing Christ for decades, he said, I want to know him. You go, Paul, 
He just wrote the best compendium on theology I've ever read. What do you mean you want to know him? No, I don't want to know theology. I want to know him experientially. There's so much more. And I'm saying to you, you might have come to the foot of the cross, but where are you today in your encounter with him? Do you desire it? Do you want it? The father plans it. The son offers it. The individual wants it. But here's the great thing. So many others benefit from you getting it. I don't know how many people have just come to know, have an encounter with Christ because people in our crowd here got born again and their relatives find God. Their friends find God. People at work find God because the Father sends them with His presence and an encounter. And that's for you today. Hey, can we pray as we get ready to close? I talked about the cross. The greatest expression of God's encounter with us in history was on a cruel cross nearly 2,000 years ago. For God so loved you and me that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay for our sins, that if we would believe in Him as the Son of God, who died on that cross in our place, then we would live forever, never perish, the Bible says. That, that happens when we first come to Him and say, Father, why don't you do this right now where you're at, Just say, Father, I know you're coming after me, even when I wasn't looking for you. I am so sorry I've turned away from you. I'm sorry I've sinned against you. Father, please forgive me. I find myself here today at the cross, looking at your son in my place. That should have been me. Your word says, I should have paid for my own sin. But your gift is payment for my sin and eternal life through your son. I receive that gift now into my life, into my heart. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in my heart, he was raised from the dead. Today, I am saved. Thank you, Father. Fill me with your spirit now. Living water flowing within. This day, I thank you for meeting with me. Hey, for the rest of you, those prophetic things that I said at the beginning, one of those probably touched your heart and your soul. Right now, let's just pray over that. Father, in Jesus' name, you have planned another encounter with people who have lost their first love. You're bringing it back to them. You have planned an encounter with people who have lost the ability to hear your still, small voice. You're speaking to them. Father, you have planned an encounter with those who are no longer hungry and thirsty for your word and for righteousness. In a funny way, in their spirit, they feel the hunger pains growling right now, feeding as they encounter you. For those who've even given in to the power of temptation. Father, there's an encounter like the father with the prodigal saying, welcome home. Welcome home. Doesn't even point out your sin. He just says, welcome home. Embraces you, forgives you, covers you with his goodness. Thank you that it's your goodness, Father, that leads us to repentance. So prophetically, Holy Spirit, you're moving with encounter because this is the month of revival, not just for our souls, but to awaken this city and to awaken this great nation. We believe it. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, guys, have an awesome week. We're looking forward to more encounters and hearing from you about your encounters. In Jesus' name, have a great week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed that message from our pastoral team. And if you'd like to know more about C3 Church Victory, please head to our website, c3victory.org.au. Until next time, we pray you have an incredible day.